your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21, that is where we will be. And as you're looking that up, I've got a, a couple of announcements, a little housekeeping to do. Uh, last week, we finished a, a series called Rescued from an Ordinary Life, and we got to finish up the series by being the rescuers. And we, we did our Compassion Sunday, and I just wanted to fill you in on where we are there. Um, up to this point, last weekend, and even in our last few services, uh, we've sponsored 776 children. Yay. <clears throat> Uh, now, let me tell you how that's crazy, because at, <clears throat> after our 522 service, I was out to dinner with um, a guy named Kevin Myers, who's on staff with Compassion International, and they always send a few people here for our weekends. And so we're just having dinner at Nippers and, and hanging out, and I get a text from one of our producers and says, hey, you know, we sponsored, at that point it was 740 kids, we sponsored a few more over this weekend, but at that point, 740, and I just said, oh, wow, Kevin, we sponsored 740 kids. And then he said, he just was like, oh. That is the third largest compassion event in the history of Compassion International, right? And that's just a, like our weekend, okay? <clears throat> now, and I didn't even think I was trying that hard because you guys are so awesome about it and you've sponsored so many kids and I just was trying to be nice about it. So last week, that's as nice as it gets. And so that's, that's actually up to 776 now, so I don't know where that ranks. But I do, um, I do know that... I ask, all right, so what's the number one? Who sponsored the most kids ever? And he said, all right, one weekend we had a church of 25,000 people sponsored 1,200 kids. So we're not 25,000, but we've sponsored 776 in one weekend. And I know it's not a competition, but I feel like we're winning. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm very proud of you for that and way to go. Uh, we also had two LDP kids sponsored, which is pretty cool, leadership development program. Those are college students. That's $350 a month. We literally had a lady go to the table and said... I was going to buy a new car. I'm going to hold off on a new car, take that car payment for the next three or four years, and put it towards sending a kid to college in Jesus' name. Amen. Isn't that cool? That's big. So if you didn't get the opportunity to sponsor, we're not going to do a whole other day, but there are packets out in the lobby. If you would like to sponsor a Compassion Kid, then you're, you're welcome to and encouraged to. And if you sponsored one last weekend, it felt so good. You thought, man, I want to do that again. Then help yourself. All right, also, uh, in two weeks, I'm going to give you all the details on the Restore Project. It's going exceedingly well. Pastor Jeremy gave you the number, the financial numbers, um, at the beginning of the service. <clears throat> and I, don't, I just need you to know that over the last 10 days, there are some particular families that got together and said, hey, we're going to make this thing move. And there's, the Spirit's been moving, and your generosity's been awesome. And you just need to know that the needle has moved significantly to the right, okay? And in a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back and talk about how, how uh, we're going to have a matching program, which is cool. Some people have started. There's also, for those of you that own businesses, there's going to be an opportunity for your businesses to get involved in the Restore Project. And this is not just something arbitrary. At the 9 o'clock service this morning, we had to turn four families away. Every one of our new gen classrooms were shut down. And so this morning, just a, a random Sunday in November... Um, we're, we're out of space. And so in the back of your bulletin is the opportunity for you to fill out the Restore Campaign stuff. And, um, and you can sign up to give that way and, and pledge for this project. And you can turn it in at the Restore boxes around or just hand it to one of our ushers. And if you do, <clears throat> then you get one of these bracelets. Now, I don't know who picked orange or why we picked orange, but we'll talk about that in staff meeting this week. I am typically not a big fan of orange, but today it doesn't bother me very much at all. And so I don't mind just sliding that on today. Looks good with my red. Okay, so, so if you would like one of those, then, then sign up for that. All right, so if you, if you found Acts 21 by now, good, 
Good, good, good. Hope you're there. What we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks <coughs> is a brand new series called The Prize. And the reason we called it The Prize is um, what, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. What's cool about the Bible is we're going to see Paul. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 9. You don't have to look it up. Mine works. I'm going to read you that, and then we're going to get to see Paul live out what he wrote to the Corinthian church in Acts chapter 21. And let me read 1 Corinthians 9 first. Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Paul knows what you know. That everybody ends up somewhere. I mean, you know that, right? <clears throat> Everyone ends up somewhere. Now, some people end up where somewhere on purpose. Like they planned to get to where they're going. Others just end up somewhere on accident. They don't really have a plan. They just look around and they go, well, here we are. Now, have any of you ever done one of those vacations where you say, all right, come on, Martha, get in the Winnebago. We're just going up the East Coast. We don't have a plan of where we're staying or where we're eating or what we're doing. We're just going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants and go on vacation and figure it out on the way. Have you ever done that? Raise your hand if you've done that. All right, you adventurous types, several of you, praise God. That is a great way to do vacation. That is a horrible way to live your life. Horrible. Because even in your vacation, you have a plan of when you're coming home and some of those kind of things. Well, there's a lot of folks and they just decide, hey, I'm just going to go with the flow. And, and the problem is, is that you're going to end up somewhere. You can either end up there accidentally or you can end up there on purpose. Now, all of us are on a path. All of us are on a journey. You know, Rascal Flats was right. Life is a highway. I can't remember the first guy that sang that, but I don't get it till it comes to the country station. So... <clears throat> That's what he said, and, and they're true, it's true. You see, the Old Testament in Proverbs says it this way. He says in Proverbs 22.3, it says, The prudent sees danger and hides himself. The NIV says, takes refuge. The prudent sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple go on and suffer for it. In other words, life is a highway, and the prudent, the wise, the people that are doing it God's way on purpose, when they see danger ahead, when they look down the road, down the path that they're on, and they see danger, they do something about it. Oh, that's going to be a problem. I'm going to take refuge. But the simple, and in the Old Testament, when the Bible calls you simple, it's not a compliment. It doesn't mean like, oh, you're a simple man and need the simple pleasures of life. It means you're simple-minded. It's the Hebrew Bible way of saying you're a dummy. That's what it means. You're stupid. So the stupid people... <clears throat> They see the danger, and they just keep going and suffer for it. And so that's what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that, that no, one, no one that's going to win a prize runs aimlessly. You don't just go out running around and be like, hey, look, I won the first prize. No, that you've got to stay on the course marked out in order to win the prize. And then in Proverbs, that the prudent see danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. And so what we're going to see in Acts chapter 21 is that Paul begins with the end in mind, all right? Before Covey made that up, Paul's living it out. And he knows that he had resolved in his spirit, in the spirit of God, to go to Jerusalem. And so he is on a path that leads to Jerusalem. Acts 21.1. <clears throat> it says, And when we had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia... We went aboard and set sail. And 
When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So the reason that the Bible lists all those places is because this is an actual event. Paul actually went by all these places. He even wants you to know that Cyprus was on the left as they were traveling along. Okay, so these kind of details are because it actually happened. And because Paul was on a path. And the path that he was on from where he was to Jerusalem, it led him to all those places. And then... When he, when he lands in this place, he just finds some disciples, and he stays there for seven days. This is a bit of an aside, but <clears throat> you'll see in the scriptures that, that, um, that, that in the first century church, that honor and hospitality were a big deal. Honor and hospitality were a big deal. And if you're my age or younger, if you're in the 40 and under crowd, we have really been operating at an honor def- deficit. I don't know what happened in our generation, but honor has not been a big deal for us. But at the Church of 1122, honor is a big deal, okay? It's why uh, we call our elders elders and deacons deacons and pastors pastors and that kind of thing. And if you're a guest with us here today, we hope that you feel honored. It's why we had people in the parking lot to help you get from there to here. We understand that you're not all that simple and that you know how to park in a parking lot. But we wanted to greet you and honor you in the parking lot. And we know that you could find the 40-foot giant iron cross and follow it to get to the church. But we wanted people to direct you in and hold the door and hand you a bulletin and greet you 11 times before you ever came and sat down. Why? Because we just want to honor you that you would take time out of your day to be here with us to glorify God in worship and word. And so one of the things that if my generation's in an honor deficit, then honor is a big deal at the Church of 1122. And a big part of our hope and desire is that you would, you would feel honored and that we would honor that we would honor you. And the reason is because it was a big deal in the early church. And so they, they could just go into any town, find some Christians and say, we're Christians too. And those Christians would just bring them in and, and host them and let them stay at their place. Now, here's what happens once they stay at the place. It says, and through the Holy Spirit or through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, this seems like it could be problematic, right? If you take the Bible seriously. So what happened? Is the Spirit confused? Because in... 1921, not the year, but the verse, chapter 19, verse 21, the Holy Spirit tells Paul, go to Jerusalem. And then here, these people in the Spirit say, don't go to Jerusalem. So you think the Spirit gets confused? Do you think God's like, oh, dang, I told him to go, but I got my days, got my calendar mixed up, you know, my outlook was messing up. And so can y'all tell him don't go? No. So what's going on here is that, that what these people are doing is they care about Paul. And what they understand is, is what we're teaching here today is that life is a journey. And they're saying to Paul, Paul, if you keep going down the road that you're going on, it's going to lead to pain in Jerusalem. All right? There's not going to be a welcome party for you in Jerusalem. And so, because we love you and based on that, we think you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. So, when it says in the Spirit, they said don't go, it's because that just means they were telling the truth. So, let me warn you about something. If you're going to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if you're going to follow after Christ, and if you're going to do what God has called and commanded you to do, then be ready that there will be well-meaning, spirit-filled Christians in your life trying to talk you out of what God has called and commanded you to do, especially if what he's called and commanded you to do is kind of crazy and outside of the norm. Like when, when I surrendered my life to ministry, I had a whole bunch of Christians trying to talk me out of what God had called me to do. You see, I know this will blow your mind, but I was a pre-med student, and I got accepted to med school. Now, I know, I'd be the worst doctor in the whole place, okay? I understand. 
because I'm not compassionate. My bedside manner would be awful. People would come to me like, Doc, my arm hurts when I do that. I go, first of all, you're a wimp. Okay, get over it. And then secondly, don't do this. All right? Be $10,000. Thanks. All right, so... So I'm at, the, I'm at a church service on a Sunday night at Richmond First Baptist as a, like a junior, maybe a senior in, in college, and I had just got accepted to med school. And so I know it's hard to believe. I never went to class either, go to class, but I never did, and I got into med school. And so, um, I, and so I go and talk to my pastor and say, hey, I think that God's calling me into ministry. And he said, if you can do anything else in the world, do it. You know why? Because he was in ministry. <laughs> he knew. And people would tell me, dude. Are you kidding me? I don't, know, I don't think God would tell you to do that. He, he wouldn't give you the ability to get in med school and then don't go to med school. Go, go to med school. Be a doctor. And I had it all planned out, right? I was going to be Doc Martin. I was going to get Doc Martins and wear them around. Like, that's me right there. You know, that's what I was going to do. <clears throat> the problem is God told me to do this. And well-meaning, spirit-filled people would tell me, are you sure? I don't think, man, are you sure? I don't think that's right. And listen, and I think they were spirit-filled. I think they were doing what God had told them to do. Why? Because what it did for me is it helped refine God's call in my life. Jesus said, you got to count the cost. Nobody would build a building without first counting the bricks. And so what it helped me do as, as, as I was listening to God's voice in my life is it helped me count the cost on my way into that journey. And so I think that's a big part of what was happening right here with the Apostle Paul. So in the Spirit, or through the Spirit, that means they're telling him the truth. They were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. <clears throat> so if you, as a Christian, if you're going to live boldly and faithfully for Jesus Christ, be ready. Well-meaning, Spirit-filled people are going to warn you to not do what God's telling you to do. But just because from their perspective, it looks dangerous. And, I'm not, and they could be right, but it could just be God refining what he's called you to do. And so, verse 5. And when our days were ended, we departed and we went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Now, this is important, too. That even though, <clears throat> even though Paul didn't heed the advice of the people, that they still didn't give up on Paul. That just because he didn't do what they told him to do, they still rallied around him, brought their wives and their kids too, and they all prayed together over Paul. They stuck with him even though Paul didn't listen to their advice. That's a big deal. You see, because they were for Paul, not just for themselves. And then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Verse 7. And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and we came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. You guys remember from Acts chapter 6, the, um, the Grecian widows weren't getting fed. And so they, they appointed seven deacons to go feed them. Philip was one of those guys. And so they go to Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, I just want to point out that Luke wants us to know that, that Luke was the guy that wrote Acts that he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wants us to know that Philip had four unmarried daughters and they prophesied. To prophesy, it could mean to tell the future, but typically what it means is just to speak an inspired word from God. And so I just wanted to take this chance to let you know that at the Church of 1122, we are pro-women in ministry. We have women on our staff, and some of the best preachers and teachers on our team are some of the women on our 
staff. And so if God's calling you to go into ministry, then the Church of 1122, ladies, could be a place that raises you up. Now, these four were unmarried, so that's when you and Jesus, good luck with that. But I'm not saying you have to be unmarried, but these four were. But these girls prophesied. They spoke. They spoke an inspired word from God. Now, here's the thing. The word prophecy doesn't always just mean to supernaturally tell the future. Sometimes it does. But, but, but prophecy also just means to tell the truth or to be able to see where the path that somebody on, is on is leading. That a lot of times that's just what it means to, to prophesy. And so there are people even at this church that will say, you have the gift of prophecy to me. And I go, well, I, you know, I don't know that I see the future or anything like that. But if I ever do counseling, like if you come in and you ask me to do your counseling, I would really urge you not to. You should get somebody that has a counseling degree because I'm not very nice and you're not going to enjoy it. Neither am I. And it's just, that's how it goes. But time after time after time, I've had people come in and sit down in my office and say, okay, here's my problem. What should I do? And I go, okay, well, let's just check your past. What have you been doing? Where are you, are, where are you now? And hold on one second. Let me look down the road. Uh-oh. This isn't going well, Hoss. Okay? You're going to want to do something different. Because I can see, based on where you've been and based on where you are and the path, the trajectory of your life, it's, led, it's leading to pain. Now, I didn't make it up. Again, Proverbs 22, 3. The prudent see danger. So I'm going to tell you, there's danger coming. And the simple, see, the prudent, they'll take refuge. They'll do something different. But the simple keep going and suffer harm. And you know what happens time after time after time? Is people say, no, I can handle this. No, 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 I can handle this. It's not that big a deal. I mean, <clears throat> I know she's not my wife, but, but, but I'm just going to take her to lunch. And it's not that big a deal. I mean, we're friends. Every, everybody just, you know, needs a good friend that's not their wife. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm just telling you. That leads somewhere to somewhere you don't want to be. Or people will say, but look, but I get so many points on my credit card when I use it all the time. Even though I can't, I mean, it's really going to work out for me. I think, I really think it is, okay? I mean, I, I can go on trips that I can't afford if I could use this card to buy stuff I can't afford. I mean, it was, how can that not work out? And I go, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's, there's danger coming. There's danger. And so you got to take refuge. you got to do something else or whatever it is, all right? Whatever it is. And, and then, sure enough, what happens is people over and over and over, they tell me, no, I can handle it. It's just a few drinks. I, I know I've had a problem with that before, but that's where everybody's hanging out. It's just a few drinks. Or it's just a little bit of weed. It's even legal in some places now. I'm not really going to do anything crazy, just smuggle a little weed. It's going to be okay. And I'm going, hey, look, danger's coming. You've got to do something different. Every single time, here's what happens. They keep going. They suffer harm for it. Then they come back, schedule another appointment with me, and they're like, how did you know? I'm a prophet. That's how I knew. I'm a prophet. You're dumb. Thus saith the Lord. That's it. <clears throat> and so another prophet's going to show up in verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And all Agabus is going to do is he's going to check the path that Paul's on and say, hey, look, this path leads somewhere, Paul. Right? And he's just going to point out where, <clears throat> where that path's lead, leading. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, let me just say this. This is just for free. We are practical here at the Church of 1122. How do you handle it when weird Christians say weird stuff to you and say it's from God? Because I'm just going to tell you if, you, if you follow Jesus long enough, 
all right? And you're known as like a Jesus follower kind of person. At some point, somebody, some weird person is going to come up to you and have a word from the Lord. Has anybody ever had that happen to him? Come on, testify people, right? And they come up, yeah. And let me just tell you, it's going to be worse at the church of 1122. You know why? Because one is the environment of worship we have where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, right? And so, um, and so it just... It is, and when the vision of your church is to be a movement for all people, all kind of all people show up, okay? And let me just say this, the Holy Spirit's not weird, but people are weird. And people come up and say some weird stuff to you. This bro, Agabus, that's a weird dude. I mean, look at what he does. He just shows up and he takes off Paul's belt. What kind of man walks up to another man and be like, hey, let me get your belt. Be like, hey, hold up, Agabus. What's happening here, dog? See, if I meet Agabus, we're not even making it to the part where he gets to do the prophecy, all right? Ain't no man taking my belt, you know? I'm like, no, we ain't doing that. Security, right? That's what we're doing. <clears throat> and, then he, I mean, and then he takes the belt and he ties his hands up and ties his feet. The man whose belt this belongs. Dude, you know it's my belt. Everybody just took, they saw you take my, give my belt back. Stand up and just tell me what you're trying to tell me. This is a weird dude. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit's speaking through it. So what are you going to do? Because I'm telling you, maybe it's just me. See, let me just tell you this. I, I hope, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings, but, you know, I don't care. So when church is over, you know normal people just go home? Like, when it's over, normal people are like, all right, we're going to eat. But then uh, some people just all hang around. I know if you're hanging around, you're, you're fine. You just have something you need to talk about. Praise God. But sometimes people come up to me after service and be like, Pastor, I got a word for you from the Lord. Oh, boy. Okay, here we go. I was talking with my disciple group about that this weekend, or this week on Thursday mornings. That's when we meet. And I'm asking my guys, hey, guys, you ever have somebody with like a weird word from the Lord from you and you didn't know what to do with it? And this guy tells me, he goes, man, this, this year we, I was on a mission trip, not one of our trips, but with a, another organization that we love and support. And on the trip, this dude on the last night says, I have a prophecy for everybody on the trip. So you know it's going to be good. And then <clears throat> he's going around person to person to person. And he comes up to my guy, the guy that's you know, he's on staff with us and he's, he's one of our residents and he puts his hand on the guy's head and he's praying and he says, the Lord just wants you to know that you are a cheeseburger. <laughs> what? A cheeseburger? I'm like, how do you not just laugh? <laughs> hey, awesome. <laughs> a cheeseburger? <clears throat> and then he's like trying to explain it. Like, yeah, it's like there's the meat and the pickle and the buns and I like mine with lettuce and tomato and Heinz 57 and French fried potato. Maybe it's talking about paradise. I don't know what he's talking about. What do you do with the cheeseburger prophecy? Because I'm just going to tell you, you follow Jesus long enough and you're going to bump into a prophet. And they got a word for you. So how do I handle it? I hope this is helpful for you. Number one, you test the spirit. Every spirit is not from Jesus. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, test every spirit. You know how you test every spirit? With the Word of God. That God will not tell you something individually that He has not written to us corporately, unless God's a liar. And my God's not a liar. And so I've had people tell me, well, the reason I'm going to do this is because God told me. Like I had a girl tell me, a dear friend of mine in my small group one time told me, well, I'm leaving my husband because God told me he wants me to be happy. Girl, where, where, what Bible translation are you reading? Did you get that out of second hesitations? It is not in there. Do you understand? 
I have men come up to me and say, well, I think God has told me to leave my wife for that girl. No, he has not. I promise he has not. I promise you that God is not going to tell you. You do not have some kind of unique revelation that is different from God's revelation as recorded right here in Scripture. So the first way when somebody comes up to me with a word is that I test the Spirit by knowing the Word. By knowing the Word. Does it line up with what God's Word says? Secondly, just for me, is that relationships are important. All right? So I'm not saying that God couldn't have a stranger come and have a word for me. We'll talk about that in a second. But I've got, on purpose, staff, deacons, and elders, and then some other pastors that have been invited into my life. So if any of those people have a word from God for me, man, I am all ears. And and they they have put in the relational bank to give me ears to hear. What, what needs to be said to me. But then, I, I still have to be open that if that random person comes up and just has a word from the Lord, I, let me just, and let me just admit my carnality to you right now, okay? Is if is, is some weird person comes up to me and has got a word from the Lord and it's kind of weird, you know what I think? This is weird. I do, I do. I just, my, my kind of weirdo meter is like, uh-oh, uh-oh, danger Will Robinson, something, this is kind of kooky, all right? This is kooky. Yeah? And sometimes people have come up to say stuff to me, and I'm looking around for the camera. I'm like, did Pastor Ben put somebody up to this? Oh, you're being serious. Okay. Right? But here's the problem, though. Here's my only problem with that, is that with myself, but I believe in the supernatural acts of God. I believe that God still heals, and God still speaks, and God still raises from the dead. And in fact, I've been a part of prayer time where God answered our prayers in such a supernatural way that it was unbelievable, except the only reason I believe it is because I was in there praying. And so I know God still moves and still works. And, and the other thing I have to check is that there were some weird dudes in the Bible. I mean, there were some weird cats in the Bible. Like, you know, you know Jesus' first cousin, John the Baptist? So he was a prophet of God. He spoke God's word to people. But, but if I'm in the first century, me and JB probably ain't hanging out. Because if he came up to me and was like, hey, I've got a word from the Lord, I'd be like, dude, you need to get a haircut, dog. What's wrong with your hair? Go to Eddie's and get you an 1122 haircut, please. And why do you wear weird clothes? And why do you shout all the time? Quit shouting repent at me, okay? Can we just talk? I would probably think that's a weird dude. Or the Old Testament's even worse. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, if he was coming to talk to me, I'd be like, dude, why are you crying all the time, man? Get up. Get a hobby. Work out. Quit crying. <laughs> but obviously, he was a prophet of God. How about Isaiah? You know what the prophet Isaiah did at one point? Stripped down naked and just walked around the city for a while. If that's your ministry, God bless your ministry. I ain't joining it. <laughs> and that's Isaiah <clears throat> or David. King David, that Pastor Ben was talking about earlier, do you know what he did when, he, when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the temple? He stops every six steps and he does a worship service. And the Bible says that he dances around in his linen ephod. That's, that's Hebrew undergarments. That brother's going to worship in his tidy whities You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to tell you, you show up to the church of 1122 in your tidy whities and we ain't hanging out. You, you, you get to hang out with, with our security team for a special prayer moment, okay? If you show up in your tidy whities Why? Because there's some weird people in this world. And so, but if God can speak through all those weird people, 
then I think he can speak to whoever he wants to. And so what I do when people come to me is I just, in that moment, have a willing suspension of disbelief and say, okay, God, I'm just going to listen for you. I'm going to test the spirit, but I'm going to listen for you. And you know what it causes me to do? It causes me to pray harder. It causes me to search the scriptures more. It causes me to lean into what God is telling me. And so Agabus comes in takes Paul's belt off, ties himself up, lays in the floor, and says, here's his prophecy. Paul, if you keep going down this road, this is how you end up. It's going to be painful. And then look what happens. Verse 12. And when we heard this, this is Luke. He's, he's included in this number. <clears throat> and when we heard this, we and the people there urged Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So Luke is listening and saying, hey, Paul. Come here, bro. They've been traveling together for a while. He's like, I know Agabus is weird. All right, come on. Get off the floor. Give me his belt back. All right, here you go, Paul. But listen, he's right. What he's saying is right. The path that you're on leads somewhere, and it leads to pain. And we love you, man, and we don't want you to go down this path any longer. Did you know if you take this body of Christ thing seriously, like if you're going to be a follower of Jesus and a member of this church and a part of this big dysfunctional family, do you realize that at some point God's going to put you in somebody else's life to be the prophet? Somebody's going to put you in their life, and you're going to be able to see where the road goes, but they can't see it. You're going to be able to see that relationship and think, "Uh uh-oh, this is leading somewhere that you don't want to go. And then she's going to say, no, but he's different. No, he's not different. He is not different. And you are not unique. Well, you are just like everybody else. That's how unique you are, okay? And And that this isn't a you problem. This is a path problem. But you know what your tendency is going to be to do? Let me just warn you now. Here's, here's going to be your kickback. You're going to see where they are and where they're heading. And you're going to know that you need to step in and, and say something. And your tendency is going to say, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. But if you're a Christian and you're part of the body, and there's another part of the body that's suffering, then it makes it your business. That your business is my business and my business is your business. And so what I want, I always want people in my life that if they see the trajectory of my life heading over the cliff, that before I get over the cliff and people start talking about me and calling it prayer requests, that before I get there, that they would warn me, hey, this road leads somewhere you don't want to go. And you, 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 Christian, will be that person that needs to stand in their way and say, hey, look, you make whatever decision you want, but this is where the path you're on is leading. And you'll say things, people misquote. Bible, who am I to judge? Let me tell you who you are to judge. You're a member of the body of Christ. When Jesus was talking about judging, he said, he said, don't don't try to get the speck of dust out of your friend's eye if you've got a plank in your own eye. And when he said that, the audience cracked up laughing. That was like Hebrew comedy. (laughs) Telephone pole in your eye trying to get a little sawdust out of that friend's eye. (laughs) And then Jesus says, take the plank out so that you can remove the speck of dust from your friend's eye. It, it, it doesn't mean let them walk around all dusty-eyed for the rest of their life. It means just hold up the mirror first, make sure you're not being hypocritical, and then you step in. And that's what Luke is doing here. Luke and everybody else, they are stepping in. Here's what it requires for you to step in and warn somebody about the path that they're on that leads to destruction. It means that you care more about the friend than you do the friendship. It means you love them more than you love what they think of you. It means that you love them. You don't just love the way you feel based on the way they like you. And it has cost me friendships. 
There's been a number of times where I've got to step into somebody's life and say, hey, look, pay attention. You're on a path that leads to destruction. And I know I've got an unfair advantage because when people are like, well, who are you? I'm, I'm your pastor. Listen to me. Sit down, shut up, and listen. Here we go. I love you, but I'm going to hurt you a little bit. But it's for your good, and I've lost friendships over it. But the fundamental thing you have to come down to is this. Do you love the friend or the friendship more? Because you will have that opportunity to be the prophet in someone's life. And so they do. They sit Paul down and say, Paul, if you keep going down this path, it leads somewhere. It leads to Jerusalem, and you are going to end up in bondage. And then here's Paul's response in verse 13. And then Paul answered. That's what I love about Paul. He says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. He's like, everybody quit crying. Get up. Come on. You're making me feel bad. And here's what he says. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So what Paul is saying is, I agree with everything you're saying. The only thing, and I think you are doing what the Spirit has called you to do. To refine that call in my life. To make sure I'm counting the cost. But here's what you don't know. You don't know that in 19, chapter 19, verse 21, that I had resolved in the Holy Spirit. That he had called me to go to Jerusalem. And so I understand that the path that I am on leads to Jerusalem. And then there I may die. But what you don't understand is that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That if they kill me in Jerusalem, praise God, I'll be face to face with Jesus. And if they let me live in Jerusalem, then praise God, because I'll take more people with me to heaven one day when I go. Because the only thing you can take from here to heaven is more people. And so I'm going to be focused on that all the days of my life. And so Paul appreciated this truth that they were speaking into him, but he stayed laser focused on what the Holy Spirit had commanded him to do. And so the Holy Spirit's not confused here. You see, I think the Holy Spirit is inspiring Agabus, as weird as he is, and Luke and all of these other people to refine Paul's call to make sure that he was counting the cost before he was to go to Jerusalem. And Paul understood fully the path that he was on and where it was heading. Verse 14. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and we went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us bringing us to the house of Nason, of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. You see, here's the thing. Paul was going to end up somewhere. He's going to go to Jerusalem, and then he's going to go to Rome. But he's going to end up there on purpose. What about you? What about you? Where are you heading? Where are you going to end up? See, here's, here's the point of this, this whole text for us today, is that <clears throat> you want to know where your life is heading? You want to know where your life is heading? It's easy. Just check the path you're on. Because you're on a path. You're heading somewhere. And so you want to know where your life's heading, just look at the path, look up, and see where it's going. And the path that you are on will determine the the place that you end up, no matter what. Andy Stanley, he's a, a pastor in Atlanta, writes a bunch of books. He says it this way. Way smarter than I could say it, but he says it this way. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. And we all know this. Like, if you were going to go on a trip today, and you were going to decide to go down to Miami, I don't know why in the world you would do that, but let's just pretend you wanted to, and you got all packed up, and you said, hey, Pastor Elders Deacons, would you come pray for us, and we go out and get around your car and pray for traveling mercies, whatever that means, all right? And then you get in your car, and you get to I-95, and you go north, guess what? You ain't going to Miami. 
And if you called us and said, Pastor, we just passed Woodbine, Georgia. I can feel the presence of the Lord here, all right? But we ain't going to Miami. We need you to pray harder. And we got together and said, dear God, you ain't going to Miami. And even if you said, I know, the problem is we don't have enough Christians. You pack your car full of Christians to hold each other accountable. And you got a worship CD and you put that in there and you sang praises to Jesus. And every Sunday on your way, you stopped and went to a church. Guess what? You ain't going to end up in Miami. Why? Because direction determines destination, not intention. And direction wins every single time. One of the questions we most often ask each other is this. Hey, how are you doing? It's not the right question to ask if you're a Christian. How are you doing? You see, because how are you doing treats life like it's a snapshot. And life's not a snapshot. Life is a journey. Life is going somewhere. And when you ask, how are you doing? Then people look around and go, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I feel good. The hangover wore off. Feeling good today. Let me check my bank account. Sweet. I just got paid Friday. So I've got money in the bank. Doing good there. And I had, me and my wife hadn't fought in three days. All right? She's been out of town. So <laughs> I'm doing great. The question I ask is, where are you heading? Where are you heading? Where's this thing going? We go, well, I'm a little worse than I was yesterday. And yesterday I was a little worse than I was the day before. And so I know I was A, and then I went to B. But I don't think I'll go to C. I think I'll just stop right here. You're simple. Dumb. Stupid. You see, the prudent see danger and take refuge. They do something about it. But the simple keep going. Like, I got this. I can handle this. And you suffer harm. Because if you want to know where your life's heading, then you just check the path you're on. And one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor is for 21 years, I meet people. And there is, this, there is just this huge discrepancy between their intentions and their directions. I mean, we have a ton of singles here in this church. If you're single, raise your hand, please. Raise them high. Raise them really high. Okay? All right? Keep them up. Keep them up. Look around. All right? You're welcome. Okay. Now, <laughs> if you don't do something with that, simple. Okay, so, <clears throat> talk to single girls. Talk to me about your intentions. What do you want to do with your life? Like, oh, man, one day I want to be married to a godly man and raise godly children and have this godly family. Okay, well, what path are you on? Um, I'll say yes to any cute boy that can afford a night at Chili's. Okay, you're on a path. It leads somewhere, but it doesn't lead to that. It doesn't lead to that. And you've got to quit trying to date boys, all right? Date guys. Guys just a boy that can shave. And you need to become the kind of girl that a godly man is going to pursue. And if that means you have to wait, then you have to wait. Let me tell you, the path to be, to be happily married to a godly man is not a spaghetti strap top at the bricks. It just does, that leads somewhere. It just doesn't lead to there. Okay? And look, I'm not trying to pick on you. Really, I have a little girl. I've got a four-year-old little girl, and every night I tuck her in, and I say, and we pray. We pray Psalm 139. Your God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And listen, girls, you're, you're just too valuable to be treated that way. And so you've got to change paths. You've got to change paths. And, and sometimes, I mean, girls come to me and say, I, just get, I keep dating these jerks. And I go, well, listen, I mean, listen, you're too valuable to dress that way. You know what I catch when I'm fishing? Exactly what I'm fishing for. And so if you keep catching a jerk, there literally is this thing called a jerk bait. And that's what you're using. Right? Modest is hottest. You're too valuable. You will teach people how to treat you 
And right now, you're just, I mean, you really, you're attracting the wrong thing because you're, you're, you're attracting everybody else on that same path. And so that path leads somewhere. It just doesn't lead where you want to go. I talk to guys. Hey, where, what are your intentions? Oh, I want to be a godly man, a godly husband, a godly dad, raise awesome kids, be a man of God. Well, tell me about the path you're going to get there, Hoss. Well, the way I'm getting there right now is I just download and look at pornography. You'll never, ever, ever be able to be a husband that can love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her while you're simultaneously mistreating. Did you know that girl's a real girl? It, it, that path leads somewhere. And if you're married and you've got a porn problem, it's just going to lead to a dry and barren marriage. That's just where it goes. So you can't simultaneously go down that pathway and expect to end up somewhere else. It just doesn't go there. I talk to parents. Talk to me about your intentions for your children. You know, we've, we've got a child dedication come up here in the church, so there's a lot of that kind of talk around here. And <clears throat> moms and dads will say, well, man, we, we want to raise godly children that love Jesus. And, and if we could just ask, we hope that when our kids are adults, they would want to hang out with us. That we've got mature, grown children that want to hang out with us. When I'm around parents that have grown children that want to hang out with them, I lean in and say, okay, tell me about the path you put them on. Talk to me. And so people will say, that's what we want, all right? We want that kind of family. And so tell me, Dad, what kind of path are you putting your family on? Well, here's the path. So I'm going to forsake my kids and spend more time at work. It leads somewhere. Yep, you might be the boss of everything. Is that what you want? Because that, that, that path has a destination, regardless of your intention. And you can pray like crazy for your kid. And you get on that path. It just doesn't lead there. See, this weekend, I had to make path decisions. I had tickets to a ball game yesterday that I really wanted to go to. Really wanted to go to. Good seats. Good seats. On the right side. Good seats. All of that. And you know what? Gretchen and I, looking at our calendar, I'm traveling next week. I'll be with Compassion International next week. And so <clears throat> yesterday was the only day for us to have a family day, just all of us together. And so you know what I have to do? See, because I'm telling you, in a few years, we won't even be able to remember if we were at that game or not. And you think I'm a fan? Yeah. But instead, we said, thank you so much for your generosity and inviting us to come with you. But we're going to have to say no right now because the path that I want to be on is at halftime of the game, me and the boy are out there throwing the ball together. And he's eight, seven. And when he's 27, I still want to be throwing the ball. And Reagan's four. And right now, she wants to hang out with me. But she didn't have a lot of options. It's hang out with dad or be homeless. Okay, those are your options. <laughs> But when she's 24 and 34, I still want her to hang out with me. So I want to put my family on a path that leads to there. Or I talk to people about their finances. <clears throat> talk to me about your finances. Where do you want to end up with your finances? And people will say, look, I want to be financially secure. I want to have margin. And I want to be generous. You know what? Some of you experienced the sting of that last week. Because you wanted to sponsor an LDP kid. But you can't. Because you don't have margin. And so your intentions might be to be generous and to be financially secure. But the path that you're on is, and so here's the path. I'm going to spend 105% of our income to get there. It leads somewhere. But nobody ever says, you know what I want to do? I want to live in a house that I just can't even enjoy because I can't afford it. Nobody but, man, you get on a path and do money your, your way, I'm telling you, it will grab onto you so quick, and you'll think, what happened? I can tell you exactly what happened. You've just been on the path. You've just been on a path. 
And for those of you in the room that have financial security and margin in your life and are generous towards God, you've been on a path too. Now here's the thing. The prudent see danger. They realize life's not a snapshot. It's a journey. It's a highway. And they look up and they see danger and they do something about it. But the simple keep going and suffer harm. And as much as I want you to have a godly marriage, and as much as I want you to have raised godly children, and as much as I want you to glorify God in your finances, man, I pray God's blessing in all those areas of all your life. But this principle of the path, the most important thing that you need to ask yourself is, is eternally what path are you on? Do you realize as far as eternity is concerned, everybody ends up somewhere. I mean, we all believe We all believe, regardless of how much church you've been going to, we all believe that everybody spends forever somewhere. What about you? The path that you are on in a hundred years from now, where does it end? And if I were to ask anybody in the room about your intentions, so eternally, what are your intentions? People go, well, I want to go to heaven. I mean, I've heard about hell. That sounds awful, okay? And I've heard about heaven, and so I think I'd rather have heaven. All right, well then, tell me about the path that leads there. What path are you on? And people that... People typically choose one of two paths. Some people say, well, I'm going to be a very good person. A very good person. I'm going to do good things. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be kind. That path leads somewhere, but it doesn't lead to heaven. You know why? Because for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that heaven is not a place where there's a good God and good people go. Because none of us are really good. Good compared to who? I know compared to your college roommate, you are awesome. All right, I understand. But good compared to the almighty and perfect God, that you're really bad. Like the, the heart of the problem, the heart of the problem is a problem with your heart. Is that deep down you know you've tried to be really good before and you just could, you, you've broken more promises to yourself than anybody else. You know that you can't do it on your own. And so that path of good works leads somewhere, but it does not lead to eternity with Jesus. So then other people say, well, so the path that I'm going to get on is this. I figured this whole thing out. I've got a get-out-of-hell-free card, and I can do whatever I want. It's called grace, and it's awesome. I can go out and just do whatever I want all week, and I found the loophole. And then at the end of the service, if you just come down to the altar and you ask for God's forgiveness, he has to forgive you. It's like he doesn't have a choice. It's like he painted himself in a corner. And if you just quote 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, you can do whatever you want to do. And so I just fill up my bucket full of sin all week long, do whatever I want, make it all about me. And then I come down at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the service and I dump it out. God, you got to forgive me. And God's so dumb that he takes this big magic eraser and he erases my sins and then he can't even remember what happened. Why? Welcome to church. I'm glad to hear. Doesn't even know what I did all week. It's awesome. Now that's cheap grace, easy believism. It's not the gospel and it leads somewhere, but it does not lead to a surrendered life to Jesus Christ. Because if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. So there's, there's one way and it's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. And if you look, when Jesus talked about eternity, he used this pathway language. In Matthew chapter 7, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way or the path is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. In other words, there's a path of this world, and it leads somewhere. And the path of this world leads to destruction. 
And he says, for the gate is narrow and the way or the path is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. He says, but there's another option. You can go the way of this world and it leads somewhere in eternity apart from Jesus. Or you can get on this narrow path that leads to eternal life. And so then he gives a little commentary to his own sermon in John chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. He says this. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That means if you are on the pathway of this world, you got three, three destinations. He's coming to steal, to kill, or to destroy. And then Jesus says, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Did you know that you were on an eternal path? And if your path that you are on is a path through that doorway or through that gate whose name is Jesus, if you have surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus, then the path that you are on, regardless of what it looks like right now, regardless of who you are and what your struggles are, it has a destination. And that destination is heaven. is an eternity in the presence of the almighty God. And if your path is on any other pathway, whether it's good works or easy believism or some kind of some kind of 21st century spirituality or whatever it is. It's a popular path. But that path leads somewhere. Just like every path leads somewhere. You know, Jesus' crazy first cousin, John the Baptist, he would use pathway language when he would preach. He would use this word called repent. Repent is a directional term. Repent means I was going this way and then I'm going to stop, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go the other way. So I was Lord of my own life. I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn around and make Jesus Lord of my life and I'm going to go in a new direction. A new direction. And you know what the good news is about this eternal path that Jesus talks about? Did you know everybody's invited? Everybody's invited. It's one of the unique things about the claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your race, regardless of the country you were born in, regardless of what you did last night, regardless of what you're going to do next week, Regardless if you're a church person your whole life or this is your very first time in church, and it's still kind of, you can't even believe you're here, that you're invited. Every single person is invited into that pathway that goes through surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You know what else is cool? Everybody gets in the same way. There's one door, there's one gate, there's one way. His name is Jesus. Everybody gets in the same way. That means if you grew up being a really, really good rule-following, Bible-believing kid, you get in through Jesus. And if you grew up being a hellion, you get in through Jesus. No matter your color, race, what country you're born in, what religion you were brought in, uh, up in, there's no head start here. Everybody's invited. Everybody gets in the same way. And then here's the best part of the whole deal. This invitation, this invitation to Christ, this invitation through that one way, that one door, that invitation to this eternal party called heaven, the price has already been paid. Yeah, you don't know anything. That, that when you get to the door, when you come to surrender your life to Jesus, you go, hey, what do I owe you? He goes, actually, I paid it all. There's no entrance fee. Actually, there is. It costs God everything. It costs us nothing. It takes full submission, full surrender to walk in totally free. And it's a directional question. Where will you spend eternity? Where is the direction of your life heading? Because, again, I hope and pray that your, that your marriages are God-honoring, that your finances are God-honoring. I pray you have incredible God-honoring families. And all of those result from the path that you're on. 
the most important thing, the only one that matters forever is where will you spend eternity? A thousand years from now, the path that you're on right now, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, it ends in eternity face-to-face with Him. And I want to give you the opportunity today to repent and to change paths. If you would, please bow your head right where you are. And if you would, please just close your eyes. Just There's nothing super spiritual about closing your eyes. It just helps you block out any distractions that might be around you. And if you're here this morning and you would say for the very first time you've realized that you were on a path <clears throat> that leads to a Christless eternity. And today, you know that you're not ready to be Lord of your own life. You've tried that and that's why you're here today. And today, you're ready to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. And you're ready to be a follower of Jesus and get on that path that leads to eternal life through the one door, the one gate, the one way, and His name is Jesus. If that's you, if you're ready to become a Christian, would you raise your hand right where you are? Would you say, God, here I am. Would you just admit, admit that you've been Lord of your own life and it has not worked and it leads to a life of destruction? Would you tell God that you believe in Jesus, what He did on the cross and His resurrection, and then confess Him as Lord of your life? And the Bible says that you'll be saved. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you and praise you that salvation is in this place, that even today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, people have repented and turned their life from a path that leads to destruction to a path that leads to an eternal destiny that is forever with you. And God, I pray for every man, woman, child, and student in this place. God, I pray for marriages that are God-honoring. God, I pray for finances that are God-honoring. God, I pray for families that are God-honoring. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would give us the ability to be prudent, to see danger from a long ways off, and to take refuge in you. And God, I pray for any person in this room that thinks they can handle it. Lord, I pray that they would just not be simple, not think that they could handle it on their own. Lord, that you would protect us from that harm. And that we would see that danger and do something about it. Take refuge in you. We pray it in the good, strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you would please stand as we respond. We respond to the gospel. Worship is even a response to God for who he is and what he's done. You can respond by bringing your tithes and offerings to the offering boxes we have around the sides of the room here. If if you're a regular. For those of you ready to give to the Restore Project, the need is great. We'd love for you to get on board there. You could fill that out and drop them off in the Restore boxes. We respond by singing all together. And then many of you in this room, you've realized that maybe financially or relationally or whatever it is, that you're on the wrong path and that you need the power of the Holy Spirit to help you see the right path and then the courage to make a change. I'd like to invite you to the altar to just pray and to just lift that up to the Lord. So let us respond.